we are so excited to be here to have a real live conversation that is not scripted and is real and raw. Um, we're super excited uh, that Mara has created this amazing platform called Connectal to bring us together in conversation. And what's really unique about it is that we're trying to bring something that's very old but very new, like the fireside chats that we had when uh, in ancient times when we just sat around and talked to each other and listened to each other. And today we have an amazing conversation planned. Um, Connectal is a fantastic platform for gathering people and having conversations. Tim McDonald and I have been uh, running the um, people uh, channel for Connectal talking about humanity, why it's the next big thing for the world. Um, it may be very old, but for us, it's like the next big disruptor is bringing people back to the conversation when it comes to our world. Thank you for, for joining us, everyone. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about it like having a dinner conversation. So we're, we're passing the food around and, and just sitting around <laughs> enjoying ourselves because we've got people here from all over the world, from South Africa to Mexico, to, to Los Angeles, and to the East Coast uh, of the United States. So maybe, um, Jillian, <laughs> this whole idea of the hustle started in a conversation that you and I had one uh, morning for me and evening for you. Maybe you could mm. uh, um, shed some light on it for us and uh, what you think we're going to be talking about today. Thanks, Eilat, and it's so exciting to be here in this conversation with you guys. Um, it came up for me um, because I think like everybody else on the panel, I've been personally exploring and professionally exploring this notion of sort of humanity at work, um, how we are more human at work, if you will. And that was sort of the origin of it, was how do we bring more of ourselves to work? and over the course of the past two years, just realizing that for better or for worse, a lot of us are hustling. We're, we're striving um, to, I think, bring more of ourselves into our work. Um, we're pursuing passion projects. We're pursuing multiple projects at the same time, which is incredibly exciting, but also can be very draining and very stressful. And I know Olivia and Jonas have, have their own perspectives on that as well. And even within a, a corporate environment, there's this sort of hustle vibe of everybody pushing. Um, the sense that our, our kind of metrics for success and our idea of our own identity within the workplace is, and, within our, and within work is, is sort of changing and we're all working to sort of define ourselves and, and find our sense of meaning within work. And it, it's hugely exciting. And it's also the flip side of that is that it's also, I think, really tough. Um, our identities and our um, notions of ourselves at work have shifted tremendously. And so I found myself encountering that a lot in my own life and, and with my colleagues. And it really struck me that we needed to have that conversation um, around the opportunities of bringing ourselves more into our workplace and then, if you will, sort of the costs or the, the toll it can take on us. Jonas, what are your thoughts on this? Well, look, I, I mean, I, I think clearly we're in a, uh, an interesting time uh, where people are redefining their, um, their priorities on the one hand, uh, 
and they're expressing those priorities in a way that speaks to empowerment on the one hand, um, a desire for more freedom, uh, but also I think more deeply and more importantly, the quest for meaning, it's much more existential. And I think the, the modes of work have changed. I think people are exploring and playing with those rules. Um, how should I be working? What should I be doing? How might I choose a path that is um, less conventional, that affords me more creativity, that allows me uh, a deeper means of self-expression? Um, I think there's, in some ways, there's never been a better time when it comes to um, our, our relationship with work. And in some ways, there are also costs and the, the hidden costs often for, for many of us. And so there's this dynamic tension between um, pushing ourselves forward and at the same time figuring out who we are and what's really meaningful. And um, ultimately, look, I think it's a fascinating subject matter and there, there's a lot to unpack there. But I will say that um, for me personally, uh, it's been incredibly rewarding. At the same time, I've suffered terribly. <laughs> So that's, you know, sort of, and I think that many people can sort of um, relate to that reality, that dynamic tension. <clears throat> now, I think the broader implications are, um, how do we move forward as society and as a humanity that, uh, that takes care of one another, that cares and doesn't lose our, our, our soul in the process, our, our desire to connect and uh, our um, much more important value around empathy, because that's the fundamental crisis that I would speak to. Um, having lost a brother to suicide a, a year, a, roughly a year ago, uh, who struggled with all sorts of issues relating to what we're talking about, the pressure that uh, is put upon us as individuals, I think is another topic that we can get into. Uh, but when we talk about work and the connection with love and empathy, there's a lot there. And, and I'm sure all of us will have uh, opinions on it, and um, and I'm certainly going to bring some of the science into the conversation as well. Wonderful um, to have that perspective and to talk about really important issues that a lot of us don't get to talk about. So looking mm -hmm. forward to that. So Olivia, my question to you is, what does love have to do with work? <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's a great question. So one of the definitions in Wikipedia is compassion and caring. And I have a history as a data scientist. And when I entered the corporate world, which was kind of in my early 40s, I had been this earth mom for 10 years and really a spiritual seeker. And then I, I landed in this very harsh environment and it was quite traumatizing. And my career was blossoming, but I just was very stressed and I, what, uh, I was in a hot industry, I was in the financial services industry with really good skills, so I moved around quite a bit, and I went through some mergers and acquisitions, and I saw how when they treated people without caring and compassion or without love, that it hurt the company, and I, I couldn't quite put it together, but a few years later, I had this big aha moment, which was that the technology and the data that I was using was driving such rapid change that it actually was becoming more important for companies to use these more human skills to actually make more money. So I did the research as a data scientist and found that that was true, that companies that use caring and compassion, actually they might not compete well in one quarter, but after a year or two, and then into five and 10 years, they 
have hundreds of times better results. So it was very exciting, and I'd written a couple of technical books, so I just wrote a book, Love at Work, which talks about the, the research and then how we can kind of bring that into our own experience. And Tim, I know you have nothing to say about this whatsoever, right? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> um, it's it's rather interesting because Olivia, I was just at a conference last week, and I made the observation because the attendees that we had at this leadership conference were all talking about how we didn't need to focus on the next quarter or this quarter. We needed to focus on the longer term. And I made the realization that most of the people that we had in attendance were privately held companies and not yeah. publicly traded companies. And what the difference would have been in those answers if we had publicly traded companies there that had external pressures that were demanding the results in this quarter or next quarter and didn't care about what was happening in five years or two years or three years because they knew that they probably wouldn't be there because they only cared about what was happening today. And I think as, you know, <laughs> I, I just love that at everybody's introduction, like nobody focused on like what the definition of hustle was because I hear hustle used so much and um, it just drives me bonkers um, because I mean, I've learned to experience, to learn, to grow more, the more I've just stopped and let things happen and experience them. And that's so the anti-hustle but I'm yeah. not putting hustle down because I've heard different people define it differently. And I've read Jonas's book as well. And I know that there's different ways to interpret different words. And I think it's, it's just, I mean, it, it's a nice surprise because outside of a couple of people, I really didn't know too many people here today. And I didn't know what to expect when I came in and not to hear everybody focusing on that. We need to hustle, hustle, hustle the way that most of us are using the word out in the, in the, in the, in the in the workplace today in the entrepreneurial space today it's just refreshing to not hear that even though it's in the title of what we're talking about <laughs> and uh, and i i think one of the best things that i've done is um i i just think that as a person i was brought up in a culture that you had to be a certain way that you needed to act a certain way you know my dad always said you can never dress you know, too well, always dress up, don't worry about being underdressed, always dress up. And I'm like, you know, I did that. And in school, you were told not to talk, unless if you were called on. And, it, you know, and then you get into the workplace and you're told when you need to take your lunch and when you need to show up and when you need to have stuff done. And I think I've just really, you know, really grown as a human and gotten more in touch with myself and which has allowed me to connect with other people more meaningfully and more purposefully when I started to understand and ask myself what was important and how I could make an impact on other people's lives instead of what other people were telling me to do. I, I was, yeah, I was struck by what you said when I hadn't mentioned the word hustle. And, and so the question that came to my mind is, is there a good way, like, you know, how there's good stress, right? There's ways to, have healthy stress that gives us uh, access to genius in the moment. And then there's bad stress maybe, which is the, when it's just pervasive and doesn't end. And I'm wondering if there's, if we could, if there's a positive side to hustle. And you said there's maybe several definitions. So I'd just like to explore that a little bit to see what people think. 
because I know there's times when I'm hustling and I'm being productive and I'm checked, tuned into my guidance and, you know, feel like I'm doing my work. And then there's times when I'm hustling out of fear. So I'd love to hear more of what other people think. So I'll, I'll go ahead and jump in uh, because we spent uh, a considerable amount of time trying to define hustle in the modern day context. Historically, hustle uh, evolved from the etymology of the old Middle Dutch word hutzelin, which means to shake. And so we use that as a, a way of defining uh, shaking free of the old or from imposed modes of, of working and doing things and creating things uh, to set yourself free. And we have a more formal definition that I'll share. And this is just the way that we've defined it, uh, myself, Patrick Laskovitz, and Neil Patel, my co-authors. <clears throat> it's decisive movement toward a goal, however indirect, by which the motion itself manufactures luck, surfaces hidden opportunities, and charges our lives with more money, meaning, and momentum. That's our frame for hustle. And I think that, and it works for us, and it certainly worked for our readers, and you know, now in, in 10 languages, so something resonated there. <clears throat> but I think to Tim's point and to your question, Olivia, uh, the, the definition, the connotations for hustle are very, very subjective, right? And so at a very base level, when it comes to productivity or performance, driving ourselves through a wall in sort of the Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk hustle porn type of way, right? There's nothing wrong with that because we all have to make things happen. That's very true. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And, and please, you know, if, if you have something to add in terms of the definition, um, do so. But from my standpoint, it's very much an empowering choice. Yeah, I think kind of building on that, I mean, the, the pursuit of something, right? It's that in my mind, the image I have is the chase. It's, it's going after something. And, and I think, Tim, to sort of pull from what you said of how you were raised and what the, 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 our sort of mental image of work and of ourselves was much more fixed and you landed in a job and that was that and you executed and you fulfilled. And now I think with those definitions being much looser and with our, as I said earlier, our sort of metrics of success and meaning as you referenced Jonas being different, there's a, a sense of striving. There's a sense of searching that even if the line is here, I can go past it. If they ask me to work eight hours, I can work 12. If my target is 10 grand, I can. So there's a striving, which I think can feel hugely exciting and exhilarating, right? The sky's the limit. I can push, I can keep pushing. And so much of our current narrative, be it from sports, Nike, whatever is, the sky's the limit. Great, but you know, there's only so long anybody can do that. And, and soon it simply feels like striving because, well, if I can get that far, then I can get that far and then I can get that far. And if there's a, you know, I had, I had a, a young woman say to me the other day, you know, my generation has one mental model and that's the sprint. Um, and we need another model that is the marathon. I mean, you can't, you can't hustle a marathon. You have to have, you know, a, a pace and a sense of determination and a, a rhythm that suits that. So I think the striving um, is where this whole thing turns from exciting and empowering to draining and 
and sort of debilitating um, when it's never enough and it's never enough and it's never enough. And without an internal sense of what's enough, without those internal metrics being clear, this is what's important to me. I'm loving this because I'm driven by a sense of passion or purpose or calling or whatever word fits for you. Without that, you're just going to keep chasing something illusory and it'll never be enough. And I think that's what drives, um, you know, corporate malaise. That's what drives mental health issues. Um, a lot of us feel like we're never enough and, and social media fuels that. So, you know, it's the two sided coin of unlimited potential and unlimited inadequacy that I think is what we're, we're sort of navigating in this conversation. And I think there's an issue here that we don't talk a lot about, which is um, power. You know, um, what I felt, Tim, that you described was how the world was presented to you. And then there's a lot of people who just say, this is the way the world is. And I think what's exciting about um, the people that are engaging here and the time that we are in in history is that more and more people are taking their power back but many people are getting lost in it as well because they're trying to navigate these two worlds and they don't know, you know, many of us have forgotten how to imagine, let alone reimagine, that something could be possibly different and reconsider what, what we can create in the world. And so I think I would love to have a, a, a bit of uh, your insights and thoughts about where are people stuck? Because like I hear a lot about purpose and let's do it, and, but it's not easy. As you said, Jonas, in your life, you've seen firsthand, I'm sure each one of us have seen firsthand someone in our lives that decided that they just couldn't stay here. Um, how do we help people find their power source and get the power back? And, you know, we talk a lot about fear and fear is the best selling brand in the world today. Um, and social media is out there, but so is television and radio. And so, you know, in, in some cases, um, what's old is new and what's new is old. And so how do we refocus ourselves to that conversation, to that human connection, to be really able to tap into our power? Yeah, so I, I can, I mean, there are a, a number of points here that we've covered. Uh, I just wanna reflect for a moment on uh, Jillian's uh, point about longevity, right? Versus the short term, right? And we talked about this prior to getting on the call. Um, we have to focus on the long term, period. It's about longevity and it's about ensuring that we, we feel supported and that we, we have some kind of a path ahead of us, some kind of destiny we can work towards, right? And I think far too often we've been inculcated and indoctrinated into thinking that um, we have to have everything right now. And there are many culprits and uh, uh, people who are, uh, have been proselytizing about now, 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 now. And I think one of the things I want to impress upon those who are listening and tuning in right now is that there's a, a beauty and a bliss to patience and to thinking about framing the long road, right? It's a meditative experience and that every moment being present in what this productivity is doing for you or what this path is, is bringing you in terms of meaning um, is really important. It really matters. And when we get caught up in conspicuous competition, right? The, the, the hustle point that I talked about earlier, we really tend to lose ourselves and lose our vitality. And so there, there are a number of things that I think that are problematic about that. At the same time, I think the whole notion of, of power or agency islet is critically important. And in fact, 
the, the some of the research we mined for the book uh, and that I've mined for, for the Mental Wellness Summit, our, you know, our mental health platform based in Toronto, uh, boils down to two things when it comes to work and happiness and well-being. One, that people have the ability to take agency, to have confidence, to instill themselves with confidence, that they can put themselves out there and take some risks and feel okay if they fail, right? Or if they succeed, it's irrelevant. And the second thing that really, really matters is that they form bonds of community. This thing that we're doing right now, it's about forming relationships and listening and understanding where people are coming from perspective-wise, right? Uh, and I think we need to hear each other. And the other thing that's really important here is that uh, when it comes to this discussion of power and navigating power, like the whole no asshole rule is really important. Be around people who are supportive of your mission and vice versa. It's that simple. I, think, I love that. And I, I'd love to just respond in a way. Also, I'm thinking about the earlier conversation and what you were just saying in terms of um, the masculine and the feminine. So the masculine is that driving force, right? And we always want a goal. And then, and I'm saying it's not man versus woman, but that we both need to embrace both of these energies, and divine feminine, divine masculine. And I have a lot of divine masculine, so I know you know, I need to balance that even for myself. So uh, it's really, in a way, like being versus doing. And I want to put a plug in for a friend of mine who wrote a book called Spiral. Her name's Amy Simkins. And she was an engineer. She was going to become an astronaut. And then she decided to go a different direction. But from an engineer's point of view, how things go in spirals where we may be going really fast and then we have to slow down and reflect, right? I mean, this makes sense. So I think it's this give and take or this push and then stopping and refreshing ourselves or rejuvenating our energy, tapping into our source perhaps. And we might do this on a daily basis or an hourly basis or we might once a year go and do a silent retreat for two weeks. But I do think it has to, I think actions have to be battered, you know, with or intermixed with these reflective times and these restorative times. Yeah, and I think building on that, Olivia, when you for me the the discussion around power is interesting because I think we usually um, conceive of it vis-a-vis -vis another. You know, you exert power over something or somebody, and I I actually think some of this is about this very solitary uh, journey that is me, myself, and I, and that power isn't an exertion or an extraction, it is, it's me on this road, which, you know, is both incredibly liberating and can feel very lonely. But the more that you connect to whatever that power is in inside of you that need not be compared to another, or imposed on another or a situation, because I think, again, the the image of the hustle is that of a, you know, a, a grinder, who you know, you've been I like hustle porn, you know, that kind of let's go. And and I think in some ways we need more sort of mental models of what this might look like that is, uh, you know, um, more of an individual um, who's discovering his or her own power and gifts and talents and things that he or she can bring to the world. And, and that the hustle is driven by that and not by accumulation of resource or exertion of power or creation of something that somebody else can look at. I, I think 
inherent in a lot of our current understandings of hustle is very much me vis-a-vis the world and how people see me and, and where I fit within this narrative of success. And when I, I think if you get caught up in that, without a clear sense of yourself, without taking that time, as Olivia said, to reconnect to self, you're in, it's going to be miserable. Um, whereas the more that you're engaged with your power, your gifts, your journey, and the beauty of it, and, and the pain and the every step of the way of it, the more you can navigate it for that long haul and not treat it as a short-term acquisition or exertion, but something more, more of a longer-term journey of discovery. I love, I love that you said discovery, Julian, because I think that that was what I was wanting to bring up is you know, I think so many times when we strive for something, we're looking at a destination where we want to be. Right. And discovery is about allowing ourselves to go where we don't know we're going. Mm-hmm. And learning and experiencing and feeling as we go down that path, not knowing where the destination is going to be. And to me, that's like the most beautiful thing that we can do. Because when we're striving in a traditional sense, the one that I, at least that I, I've been brought up in, is we are so nose down, we are so laser focused, we are so consumed that we don't take the time to appreciate what's happening around us and to see what's outside of our blinders. And, and to me, that's like that point to Ayelet's question what advice can we do for the people that are that are kind of stuck, right? That that are unsure of of the step to take. It's about you know reassessing what that striving for is. It's not a destination; it's a discovery. Yeah, it, yeah. and I, I would I, I would just simply add to that. Um, oftentimes, it's we're viewing the the destination as the goal and the ultimate reward in and of itself, the destination point, right? So starting at point A, the initiation, ending at point B. And to your point, uh, both Jillian and Tim, one of the ideas and the beauties of this thing, sort of the whole mystery of the hustle, if you will, (laughs) uh, if we can romanticize it, is that there's a hell of a lot that happens between point A and point B. And in my mind, that sphere of discovery is there right? We surface our talents, we get to know who we are, we form bonds and relationships, we, we make new self-discoveries, we can introspect and reflect, we get challenged, we fail, we deal with adversities, we have incredible breakthroughs and so forth. That whole inventiveness um, is what, the, in my mind, the challenge, that's the whole point of this thing, right? That's why we put ourselves in motion, I would argue. And I think, you know, the whole, the requirement, what's incumbent on us is to open our eyes and our ears and listen in and tune in and see what's really happening, uh, what we're doing, what that motion or movement or energy is creating, but also to be able to reflect upon that and not lose that. But then, I mean, I think what's interesting now is the number of people I know who are sort of like seven years into a startup. (laughs) And, And, you know, I think that there's this sort of the first couple of years are great and it's all exciting and everybody's willing to work, you know, all hours out of their, you know, and eat ramen noodles. And it's, there's a mythology around it. And then, 
you know, and then it's like, and now, and when, and, and I think a couple of things happen. One is just, you know, the, lo the longevity issue comes into play and just human capacity to, to continue at that pace. And then I think there's this, you know, the point at which the need to execute and just put into place some, some things that, you know, tick over, keep, keep everything going day to day, which a lot of the people who got into the hustle didn't want to do. You know, they didn't want to do HR and financial management and all this stuff. It's going to turn this idea into something that actually has legs for the long haul. And they're not, they're not even necessarily good at it, but they're inclined to think they should be able to do everything and turn this idea into this thing. And so they start to hit walls of their own abilities and desire to, to turn this idea into a, a thriving being. Um, and then I think, you know, the, the narrative changes and, and takes a different turn towards something more mundane. And, and it, it's difficult then to kind of reframe it. I, I know so many, at least here in South Africa, there's a, a lot of entrepreneurs who are, who are stuck with this kind of, how do I either turn this into something that's going to level off into a, something that feels a little more stable and doesn't see me working 24 hours a day? Or have I gone down this path that, that was never, you know, that I actually need to bail on and just go and get my, my corporate job again? Um, there, it, it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to pursue the narrative and figure out how to translate it into something that actually can play out um, in a longer term. It is. I, I'd love to, to respond really quickly to that. I mean, I, I look, startups are inherently um, impossible, I would argue, okay? Uh, I know, having lived it, I had a stroke uh, in my mid-20s working at a startup uh, that rendered me temporarily blind and uh, completely inarticulate. Uh, that was not fun. Would I, if I could go back and change things, would I? No, I wouldn't, because that was an incredible learning experience for me. Uh, and so for those who are struggling, if they're struggling psychologically with it and the, the rigors and demands, absolutely. I mean, think about if, if you want to persevere, you're going to pay a, a cost and it may not, uh, you may not have any meaningful reward out of it other than to say that uh, you were able to build something and it failed. And there's nothing wrong with that, but monetarily you're going to suffer. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, why not pivot out into something else? If, if you're not getting the after seven years, uh, if you're not meeting the, the expectations that you had, I think it's time to reset. And I think that's a reasonable thing to do. I think uh, the challenge with entrepreneurs, I mean, all of us who are looking in here, <laughs> uh, or entrepreneurial people, and I think inherently people who hustle are entrepreneurial, is that we're incredibly delusional, right? And we want to keep buying into the lie and the myth that that golden uh, carrot on the other side of the rainbow exists. It doesn't always exist. And it's okay to let things die and fail. I think that's so important, Jonas, because I think our whole notions of success and failure, um, like Tim was saying in the beginning, really put us into boxes and, and lines that we don't see and into prisons um, of, of not trying or, you know, have we made it? Um, I have to say, as someone who fired herself from corporate America, after a, a, a very successful career, <laughs> um, I don't encourage other people. I'd actually like to see corporate America heal 
and for us to have a new conversation and i think it's going to come from from the sidelines from the entrepreneurs from the books that everyone here is 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 has either written or is in the process of writing um the work that the collaborative work here is so important to the world because we don't even know what work means in the 21st century like are we working right now um we need to get back to a sense of play we need to get rid of um, work-life balance, which is a myth and a bunch of bullshit, um, because we are one person and we need time to rest. I was talking to a friend who just started a new job and she was like, every weekend, she's like, I gotta work, I gotta work, I gotta work. And she's pretty spiritual, enlightened woman. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm squeezing in life. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> there is only life. Um, so, with everybody's perspective here about work and play and life and all these things, how do we bridge? How do we move? What are some practical ways for people who are participating with us to either think about or resources? Because it does, Jillian, to what you said earlier, it gets very lonely when people are telling you, here's the way or here's the five steps. So what's possible? I around that because it's sort of what became unveiled in my research and my writing and that is I think we have to see how attached we are once we feel like we're in a successful position and then we're really driven to achieve what would we be without that achievement and I do think it it, it and it was spoken to I forget who said earlier but about um, feeling confident in ourselves it, whatever happens and being able to fail and and know that that's just normal and, and really love ourselves through the process and love ourselves enough to not drive ourselves to be sick or have a stroke because we're trying to achieve something. Like, what are we doing that for? Is it for the recognition or the security? And is that really necessary? Maybe unpack our motivations behind that, what becomes, I think, addictive work. Mm. Yeah, and I think that takes a very deliberate practice. I mean, it's kind of sad yeah. to say. I think it takes yeah. a deliberate practice of cultivating diverse experiences and like cultivating life. I mean, again, it, it feels sad to say that you have to be quite deliberate about not getting sucked into the vortex of my work equals the whole, the totality of me, because right now we don't have a lot of other um, shared common spaces that, you know, are public markers for who we are, religion, family, whatever, people, lots of people have talked about this, but I think that it takes, you know, in the weekends, in the evenings, in the lunch breaks, and the this and the that, what we read, who we talk to, what we listen to, where we go, um, a, a mindful eye towards a fullness and a richness of experience that doesn't narrow our definitions of ourselves down to work and a few other things. Um, as, as much as that appears to have merit, um, I think it takes all of us um, sort of saying, actually, no. And, it, and those other things don't have to be shiny and heroic. They can be just, you know, committing ourselves to to the rest of our senses, to not just our brains, but to pleasure, to music, to food, to love, to, you know, all sorts of things that, that, 
you know, as I think as, as you were alluding to Olivia earlier, it's like we then bring that back in um, to our workplaces and to our colleagues and to our communities. And actually, I think that's where the longevity comes from, is from being fed from other sources. Um, it's when we don't have those other sources feeding us in any sort of everyday way that we start to just become atrophied down to, I am defined by this, and therefore the success or failure of this is everything. Um, when we remind ourselves that it isn't everything, that there are simple pleasures, daily pleasures, all sorts of things that round out our identities, I think those are just tiny little ways that we keep ourselves in, um, in a more whole way. Well, yeah, I, and, and I, I would add, go oh, ahead, Olivia, please. And just a real quick comment, which is, which I thought of before, and then you reminded me again, is that we, <clears throat> we're taught when we're, you know, young, I think, and, you know, we're still brainwashed to think that there are cultures out there that are tribal and <clears throat> primitive, but they often spend maybe one or two hours a day taking care of food and shelter, and then they play and have ritual, and we look at them as, like, we're more evolved, and I actually think it's quite the opposite in many ways. Yeah, I, I would agree on many levels. I mean, I think it's, again, it's, it's a question of values. It's a question of priorities, and uh, it's also a question of how we define our worth in the world and in our lives. Uh, I think, and I would argue that in many ways, our culture is way off track. Let's be speaking specifically about sort of scientific material, productive workaholic culture is way off track. It's actually killing us. I'll get back to my point about empathy uh, that we started with, which is to say that we are really in a crisis of empathy. And uh, at a certain point, it will backfire. There's no question about it. Um, at the same time, you know, I think often about uh, compartmentalizing. And I know it works for me personally. And I'm not saying that those who are tuning in shouldn't be striving. Absolutely. Go for you know, the thing that, that gives you meaning and worth, if that's how you define it. Uh, for me, it's more about curiosity and pursuing curiosity and pursuing curious people and interesting things that I can work on project-wise, right? That gives me meaning, it's enriching. At the same time, it's meaningless without family and without my creative outlets and without um, forming deep bonds and repairing or healing uh, those bonds when they're, when they're attenuated at times, or my, my, my own health for that matter. So one thing I would say is, uh, in terms of a practical frame, yes plays super important, and you should wake up in the morning singing and dancing, if nothing else. Like if you don't do that, then there's something wrong with you. Uh, but if it's not that, maybe it's prayer or meditation or just reconnecting with nature and turning off your device for God's sake, right? Uh, stepping away for a few hours. I mean, I, I'm sure everyone on this uh, who's tuning in has the experience of waking up to the alarm on their cell phone, unless they're an analog person and starting their interaction every day, staring into a screen of electrons at six or seven or eight in the morning, or maybe earlier, until 11 at night. That's not healthy. It can't be. I will speak yeah, and I think to one person who doesn't have a cell phone that I wake up to every day. <laughs> it never is entered I love my bedroom it, man. as soon as I got so, a cell of phone. Course. Never, never had it in my bedroom. <laughs> Great. You're the anomaly. <laughs> My body I was going to say, I think what you're, what you're alluding to, Jonas, is, or 
not alluding to what you're talking about is like taking the time for those quality connections and interactions. And I think, you know, I, I think a lot about our conversations as like a currency. And if you look at your conversations and if they're all transactional or combative or however you want to, you know, think about that, that there's one unit of measurement for you in terms of the quality of your, and of your life. And is everybody again, somebody you're trying to convince or uh, extract something from, you know, or how much time are you taking for those conversations is just a, a, a simple way of giving and, and receiving. Um, and I think, as you've said, you know, either those are often now happening via a device or via long distance or some stranger you don't even know, or they're just rushed. We don't, we don't pause long enough just to sort of connect in that meaningful way. You just used two words that I am so appreciative of is giving and receiving instead of giving and taking. Because they're two sides of the same point where both people are benefiting from that. Then, And I think to me, it's more about the com- than the conversation. It's about the connection that's formed from the conversation. And when you give and receive, it's the connection that both people feel and both people can walk away with. And that currency that you're talking about, if it was accepted in our culture, so many of us would be so rich. We already are, but we just can't spend it anywhere, right? (laughs) And, And I would love to live in a world where we could, and maybe we will see that happen as we have more of these conversations and connect with more of the people like this that feel this way. And to me, this is what it is, right? This is about, how we can have love and happiness in this culture of hustle. That's what it, that's what this whole conversation to me really boils down to. And also, also be real about it. I think that's, that's a piece of it because um, again, it depends on where you are in the world, but we've been taught to put on our masks and to show up in a certain way. And we learn to trust other people before we learn to trust ourselves. And to me, that's another way that we give our power away because, you know, what do I know if everybody else thinks this way? And um, I am the other person, Jonas, who rarely uses an alarm clock, just so you know. Um, <laughs> um, as Two well. of seven billion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I did, you know, I mean, I did. It's not, it's not something that you click on and you click off. This, this takes, I think a lot of people are, are kind of in this middle place and they don't see the bridges, they don't see the places that they can connect or the people they can have the conversations with. And that to me is where technology is beneficial and is beautiful. It's how we use the technology, it's not the tools. Social media is not evil. It's how we use social media and how we change social media. This is the part that I would love to talk about a little bit is like, how do we shift it? Because we can't, we, you know, if we are all powerful creators that I feel that we all are on this, in this conversation, what is it that you're creating in the world and how can you bring people along with you? Because, you know, the era of the blame or, or this isn't working or this is broken, isn't going to help us. What we need are, are people who are thinking about the planet, about the people, 
And of course, um, as a, I, I've read Olivia's book and she talks about how you get profit when you focus on people and planet. And so this is a new conversation that's very old, as you mentioned earlier, Olivia, as well. So what are your thoughts about that? What are you creating in the world and how can people come along to the journey with you? Or if you're feeling like there are no bridges, where are the bridges? I'd love to respond because we were saying about social media and how can we use it. And along those lines, I have found for myself when I'm trying to influence people's thinking is that I don't state facts. I just ask leading questions. And I think really good questions are a powerful way to shape social media and people's thinking. Because you can pepper questions, you know, with ideas that'll get perhaps expand their thinking. So that would be a suggestion I would make. I really think that, you know, for me, um, it used to be all about, you know, how many people follow me, how many likes I got, how many people were replying to me. And I think I just saw my sister, I see her like once a year, only this time I went out to see her in Phoenix. And, you know, she said, I've actually noticed you don't share as much anymore. And I said, that's, that's interesting that you say that because I really don't. And I said, but it doesn't mean that I'm any less active on there because I'm listening and I'm seeing what people are talking about. And then I jump in when I feel like I have a point of, of, you know, opportunity to engage with them and have that conversation and make that connection. And it doesn't have to be all my friends. I mean, part of what I love doing is listening to people that aren't my friends and listening and learning what they're talking about and expanding my perspective on the world. And it, it's, you know, to me, that's like the, the, the best way that I think social media is. I've always viewed this from the very first time I, I heard of Facebook when I was way too old to be on it. If you remember Facebook in those days, um, <laughs> it was, it was that I saw these, these two college kids on their phone showing me a, a joke on Facebook. And I saw it came from somebody in Australia and we're sitting there in, in Chicago. And, and I said, wait, the only thing I know about Facebook is you have to be friends with people that you share it with. And he said, and, and I'm like, so where did you get this from? And he, go, he told me one of his friends and I'm like, so did he know this guy in Australia? Nope. Well, how did he get it from one of his friends? And it just went on where we couldn't figure out how we got the joke, but the light bulb went off in my head at that point in time that the speed at which we were going to be able to connect and who we were going to be able to connect with was going to be changed forever. And to me, I started on the path of trying to put my voice out there for everybody to hear me. And as I've learned, I learn more, I connect more deeply, and I'm able to actually, you know, share purpose with people when I start listening before I start talking and sharing. And that to me is like the best thing. I mean, Jonas, you said something earlier that, that most people don't ever talk about when you shared the story about your brother committing suicide. Mm -hmm. And these are things, these are conversations that nobody proudly boasts about on Facebook. You're not going to see it on Twitter. You're not going to probably see it on LinkedIn. But these are things that are happening around us every single day. And imagine the impact that we can have if we just see that one person in that one moment in time that we actually listen to and then reach out and can connect with and make a different difference in that person's life just for that one particular minute, how impactful that's going to be. And it had nothing to do with what I shared about online. 
It just had to do with the fact that I was there and I was listening and I wasn't going in with an agenda to try and fix or, or save somebody. I was just there to listen and be somebody's friend for that moment. I think um, of Brene Brown's work, which I just think is groundbreaking, which I think is what you were doing is being vulnerable. And, um, and to speak to what you were asking earlier, Jillian, about what are some practices people could have uh, I think I said this before, but asking who am I without my success? So I'll share a little personal story. Uh, I grew up with a lot of uh, tragedy in my childhood. And so I had very low self-esteem. And uh, I, I kept pushing myself for various reasons needing to do that. But that's with the male energy. And uh, I started being successful. And I wrote a best-selling book in 2001 on data mining. And suddenly I was on a stage and people were acknowledging me and I was feeling good about myself, but it wasn't internal. It was just from outside. And so then I would start speaking all over and it continued. And then that kind of leveled off and I thought, okay, what else? So I decided I wanted to get a PhD and I started a program for organizational development and uh, I was exhausted and it, it was expensive. And I went to see some guy for a reading just on a whim, and he said, why are you getting a PhD? And I thought, well, that's a really good question because I didn't know why. And I examined it, and it was because I kept thinking I had to accomplish amazing things to be lovable. So I thought, okay, who am I? Can I be a person? And I think it comes down to what you're saying about just being a good listener. I think that is such so much more powerful. People will be attracted. I find people are attracted to me more if I just listen to their story rather than sound off all my accomplishments. So that's where I'm trying to just become more quiet, like you're saying, and, and, and honor that other person. I think that's the greatest gift you can give somebody is your full attention. And whether they ever know what I've accomplished or not, I feel better about myself as well. Yeah, and, and I'd add to that, Olivia, and to build on what you're saying and, and Tim's point as well. Uh, I think so much of our vulnerability has been sacrificed in place of the projected uh, version of ourselves on social media. And what I'd love to see happen uh, in, in any way that we can um, actualize it is that people are more, more fully vulnerable and more fully present in the real version of themselves. Right? And so in the work that I do, um, whether it's in a, a business context or a speaking context or in dealing with people who are uh, suffering from real traumas, you know, whether they're veterans who are dealing with PTSD uh, or uh, students who are just overwhelmed and, and not sure what to do and so distracted and so forth and disheartened about the realities of um, pressure and expectations and so forth is just to ask people to step back to take a breath and to be real uh, because we live in a very much, um, uh, you know, a sort of a mediated <laughs> reality where we can control our image. And uh, that to me is a real challenge that we're going to be dealing with, especially, you know, myself, I have my wife, Laura and I have a new daughter who's all of three weeks old. And I think about her future in the world. And um, Tim and I let you give me hope that one does not require a cell phone to wake up in the morning. 
Um, you know, and so it's, the question is, how do we integrate technology in a way that allows us to be more fully vulnerable, more fully present, and more fully real, most importantly? So we can listen to each other, to your point, Olivia. We can listen to each other. Uh, and simply listening may be enough, right? We, we don't have to uh, project to a point where it's nauseating and all-consuming. We can just simply step back and listen and, and be supportive of one another. I'll let your question about what are you creating and like putting it out there and I mean one of the things that strikes me in listening is um, I think in some ways part of this hustle thing is my creation is me right I mean we have this cult of the founder we know the founders of all these companies so we know these people and there's this total link between Jack Dorsey and Twitter and Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. So there's a, there's a tight link between the individual and what he or she is creating. And I think in some ways, I personally feel as I, and I, I don't put myself in their category at all, but I, I just mean that as I think about what I want to create, I'm working to, it's not me. Antukar and my company is not me. It's not about some palace I'm building to myself. And I'm not suggesting those people thought that, but I think that when we look at it, we connect the two. And I think in some ways, if we can begin to create things and put them out in the world that are not a reflection of our own glory, they, they are something beautiful that we are putting into the world because it needs to be there, because there needs to be an experience, an offer, a service, a something that that will um, hopefully one day thrive because it is valued by others. And, and I think, you know, it's, um, I, I think it's an attitude and it's a mindset that is central to this discussion around hustle, because if, if what you're creating is a public reflection of you, then, I mean, you're going to take a huge number of knocks and that's going <laughs> to, that, that without that distance and without that ability to say this is out here but it isn't the whole of me i think you you're on difficult footing there if you succeed fantastic i mean it's a great story if you don't then your very sense of self gets you know really wounded so in some ways i think we're entering a time when there's an opportunity for those of us who do want to hustle to create beauty for it not to be us, for it not to be about me, uh, for it to be about something that I want to create for others to join and to do it with others. So to start to deconstruct in some way the mythology of the, the man, the woman, the star, the hero, and, and begin to see it as a collective process of creating beauty that is external to us and should exist without us. Um, and I think creating that in your own mind from the beginning is absolutely critical because, again, I think that when it's so tightly linked, um, it can be, get on very dangerous ground quickly for a lot of people if they're not prepared to deal with the inevitable kind of ups and downs that come with this, this ride that, that anybody who wants to create something is on. My definition of a healthy as a community builder my definition of a healthy community is one that can exist without you being part of it. And you just mm. described exactly that. And I think if we all looked at, I truly believe that we're all community builders in a certain sense. 
you know, it might not be, we don't need to, to make it on how many people are part of the community or anything. But I'll never forget a piece of advice that um, my friend Jeff Power told me when I was talking about community. And he said, you talk about communities and, and you know, debate whether, you know, what kind of contribution level everybody in the community should give. He goes, I go to Africa and work with villages. And he goes, if nobody, if one person doesn't look out for the welfare of everybody in the community, the community perishes. And I think if we started taking that, that approach and looking out for each other in our communities, how much healthier we would be, how much more we would foster her, how much more longevity we, we would all have, and how much, how much would we, more would we achieve together if we started looking at life that way and community that way. So, wow, Mara just reminded me that we're at the top of the hour and I think we could probably go on for the longevity of it. It's been entirely inspiring um, to, to be an, and an honor to be here with everyone. Time wrapped it up for us. So I just wanna um, deeply thank you. Um, I want to just highlight a couple of, of points from our conversation. One is that we're talking about unity, not conformity, and how we are on this journey to really connect with ourselves so we connect to others and we can reimagine and really look at with curiosity, with passion, with love, with sadness, with grief, with all of it. So we can have conversations openly and really be out and create a beautiful experience for everybody on this planet. And I wanna thank you, Olivia. I want to thank you, Jonas. I want to thank you, uh, Jillian. Um, I know you stayed up late in South Africa. And Tim, as always, I want to thank you, my, my better half on, on the People channel. And I just want to remind everybody that, that people are what matters most. And this is up to you to have a conversation about people, the planet, every living being on the planet matters. And the choices that we make matter deeply. So we need to choose wisely the people, the beliefs, the food that we're consuming, and really look at it from, from, a, from a different and ancient way of bringing sanity to our world. Thank you, everybody. See you next time. Mm -hmm.